Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who will just not stop harassing the fucking birds. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and the birds deserve it. Oh, do they? Assholes. Thinking it's their beach. Birds are bad. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there, and our supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. So that's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. I always put together a list of four films, usually themed, and then the fifth film is always Kazam the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal, because why shouldn't it be? That's just what I want in life. And as such, I get what I want. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, $1. A little above that, at $5 and above, for people who can afford it and want to help us keep going on the Sisyphean task a little more, we'd like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, and Andrew Jarrett. So glad to have you guys. Nice. A little above that, we do something that is pretty dang special. Pat made a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard, and once a month we mail those out with a little personalized thank you note from me. We also like to thank those supporters on air. Thank you so much to our current $10 and above supporters, Jason Westaper, Patrick Yelko, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnak, and Adam Speakerman. Yes, thank you very much. If you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can see most of the past postcards. A couple of them are uh, too hot for Redbubble, apparently. <laughs> it uh, sounds so. like those like, VHS like, tapes that they sold on late night TV in America, like when I was a kid. If we put censored stickers over some of the art, I think we could get get away oh, with it. Oh, we certainly could. I almost considered doing a revamp of the uh, Godzilla <laughs> one. I was so angry yes, that like I was yes. like doing a revamp that just was like censored all the parts that were like yeah. offensive. But I my ire got uh <laughs> was as it turns out all less right. powerful than my laziness. That's good. That's good probably for the best in the end. Ah, if you do want to see those uh, extra double secret uh, <laughs> forbidden cards, just reach out to me on Twitter yeah, at the Adam Glass, and uh, and we'll let you know uh, <laughs> what those look like. But yeah, you can head over to so shady, like the way it's all like. <laughs> it? If you reach out to me, I'll, I'll give you I'll give <laughs> you a preview of them. They are they are all not on Redbubble because of copyright claims that were unexpected because they are all obviously fair use, patently fair use. Unfortunately, Redbubble doesn't want to go to yeah, that. To it. I didn't want to get into classic, it, but like, um, it turns out it copyright. turns out trying not to get into it just makes them sound much more salacious than they actually are. Yeah. So uh, I've got to explain it. Anyway, uh, that's redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. You can see those. You can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as uh, stickers, as magnets, as buttons, some of them, uh, as posters, I think. Maybe even, you know, there's... Uh, 
I wouldn't I could. recommend getting them as posters because they were never designed to be that large. But right, anyway. right, 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 right. Now, I shower also, curtains, on the other hand. Yeah. Yes. We could blow it up to shower curtain size. Uh, well, it crosses would... <laughs> over a sort of threshold. There's a sort of artistic threshold, but like poster size, the sort of distortion on it wouldn't be like, would be kind no, of like actually... annoying. Shower curtain, the distortion would be almost beautiful. The beautiful thing about the shower curtains is that when I have the option to turn it on, it defaults to the actual file size. Right. So it's it's just a blank white shower curtain with a postcard size <laughs> yeah, right, image right in, the in the middle, middle which is of what it. we should we yeah. should sell. Alternatively, if they have a tiling option, I don't. I which don't know would if they do. I'd have to look intense. Into it. It like, would be can you just imagine a, a, like a, po- a four by six postcard just tiled across an entire shower curtain? It would. You would have to tear it down within minutes of putting it up. You would. You yes. would be like, oh, look what I got. You would hang it up, and then you would. Probably uncontrollably, like, like you would just lose your mind and probably have to tear it down and burn it or something. There are, we're not actually selling any of them as shower curtains. Again, sure. if you if you think that that's a product you would want, reach out to me at the Adam Glass on Twitter, uh, and I'll see what I can do. Um, maybe I can get you one of the forbidden shower curtains. Oh boy! And we'll see how it goes. <laughs> forbidden shower curtains. It's just a weird, <laughs> fucked up Godzilla picture, like a thousand yeah. times over. This is truly like the mouth of madness. It's just really like. Thank you so much to everyone who has purchased things through the Redbubble. We are very grateful for that. Thank you to everyone who has supported us on Patreon, and thank you to everyone who listens. I, I. Yes, thank you. I, I really do hope somebody eventually uses a wedding invitation. So that's my I, I will have made it in my own eyes if that's if that ever happens. I, Here's hoping. Here's or hoping. funeral invitations. I'm fine well, with that I mean, too. Really, any sort of invitation, birthday party. If you, if anybody ever reaches out to us and tells us that they use it as an invitation for some sort of event, I w- I will be able to die happy, a fully satisfied human being. Well, if it hasn't happened by the time you do die, you'll die sad. But I'll use them for yeah. Your please, please cr- have a funeral for me and use one of my use the worst postcard I've made uh, to do that. Please. I mean it. I don't think it's the worst one, but I am. I would use the Godzilla one. The Godzilla I, one is the best one for this. Yeah, it is the most yeah. uncomfortable in every capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pat, this week we are into Program 5 of By Brackage Volume 2. And I got to admit, at Program 5, I'm regretting doing these in six different I'm episodes. Not, I'm not regretting it. I am, <laughs> I am merely... I would be... If you imagine us doing this in like some sort of Listen, weird six-hour right. slog or eight-hour slog, by this point in that six-hour slog, long before this six-hour, this point in the six-hour slog, I would be very tired of Brackage. Right, right, right. If this were, if this were, say, uh, say we did in three episodes, and this were the second half of what we watched last week, uh, it would still be a slog. But I would be, uh, I would feel worse about it. I think than than doing it as one separate episode. Yeah, like we want to give each like one this has just made it a little yeah. like less upsetting every time we have right, it. Right, right. And we want to give each one its due and this is the best way to do yeah, that. I mean, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Even when we get to a set where maybe we're not as engaged as we could be. Yeah, I mean this one What you know what's fascinating about this is that like uh, we're going through an interesting transition because as the pieces get more abstract we're sort of in an intervening period. Like, I don't think we are chronologically, but like visually, we're in an intervening period between like the truly deeply abstract stuff and like the stuff we were dealing with at the beginning, where like there's a lot of real film in there, like a lot of real yeah. footage. Yeah. 
this is like maybe the the most awkward stage for me for Brackage. This is like cool stuff is happening, but it's also kind of visually not super engaging all the time. Right, right. So, so since since this sort of is going in a chronological order with each program, right. right. What we're dealing with now is uh, a film from 1982, a film from 1992, and a. Uh, a longer piece and a much shorter piece from 1994. So my um, my question is: Last week's didn't we cross into the 90s last week? We did, we did, and that's so it feels where, like this one is more of a piece with that one than it is like a separate chronological step, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it isn't, isn't. You remember last week's did start to really mesh. Last week's was was a whole cycle, right? We did the right. the visions and meditation, but it was a time where he started to really mesh the uh, the uh, actual recorded film and the the painted stuff a little more than he had right, in the past. Right. Well, my my thought process on this is that like the other ones up until last week, and including last week, we were just going ba- almost perfectly in chronological order. We were right, just right. going straight through his career. Whereas last week's felt like, oh, we really want to get the whole cycle in, to into one block. So we're kind of breaking that chronology to allow you to watch a whole cycle. Yeah. Whereas here we're back to more like the the sort of original chronological order sort of dynamic, it feels like. Yeah. This is also on a cusp with Brackage, and I don't know if this will be reflected next week or not, but it was reflected in Volume 1. Uh, around 1990, Brackage started going back to the painted cells much right. more often. Uh, and much of what we watched post-1990 from uh, from Volume 1 was purely painted works. Right, yes. Yeah, I remember uh, those really well. Yeah. And obviously he had been doing painted works earlier as well, and we saw right. a good selection of, of those throughout his history. Uh, but with Volume 1, a lot of that work... Well, uh, it sort of feels at like least in half his, of that work was right. post ninety, I think, and, I, post- and it really feels like it feels like as he gets older and more. I mean, like by the time we're nineteen ninety, he's a how when we we looked up when he was born, but I can't remember off the top of my head. How I old feel like the late thirties. Yeah, so he's he's getting up there in age in in the nineties, and it seems like he sort of retreats back into like a sort of artistic comfort zone, uh, like a place where it becomes truly abstract where he doesn't even need footage to start with anymore. He can just right, right. Yeah. create what he, he was the visual he wants whole cloth. Yeah. He was born in 1933. So, you know, he's only, what is that? 67. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's getting up there. Certainly. Uh, you know, he lived until 2003. He died right. at age 70. Uh, so you know he still had a, a a decade and a half in him, but right. But like I mean, it's not so much. I don't. I don't mean age and sort of like that. That sort of sense of like how close one is to death or something like that. Yeah, it just sort of seems like you can kind of see it like in these works as well. Like the sort of like he's lost some sort of interest in, and it's not true for all of these because like for example, Boulder Blues and Pearls and it is very much full. And Mammals of Victoria are both full of like actual visuals. Yeah. But you can sort of feel that the visuals are the the recor- the previously recorded visuals are becoming less like subject focused, less like yeah. you're you're not, you know what I mean like 
And like, because Unconscious London Strata is also, as far as I can tell, right, is full of things that are actually recorded. They're just recorded in such a way as to like render them completely, um, right, like un- right. almost basically unidentified. So, right. So, Unconscious London Strata is the earliest of this set, right. and that okay. is from 1982. About 22 minutes long, recorded on Super 8. Um, and it's it's one where the title is maybe kind of related <laughs> to what we're doing. It is the scenes we have, in as much as they are identifiable, are scenes of London. Right, but you couldn't, uh, you'd be, you'd have to be a superhero. With, you know. with a few I, exceptions, yeah. yes. There's a, there's a point where it's very clearly the parliament clock tower big ben yes yeah i mean there's but. that but like that and but that's like that's it that it's yeah. it's it is it is visually meant to be almost completely divorced from like its source ma- like source material basically it's all yeah. blurred it's basically just playing with color and like light and like luminance basically just yeah brackage's description of this one is actually uh kind of i guess fitting to encounter uh, this this week that the queen has died, uh, as we record this, uh, he says that unconscious unconscious London Strata is a reconstruction of the mind's eye at the border of the unconscious. Some visual song of all of England's history began to move through this material, creating a musical metaphor of mind as memory manifest on film as rounds within rounds. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what that fuck is. Yeah, I don't know what most of that means anyway. Um, <laughs> like, visually speaking, uh, London, uh, Unconscious London Strata is visually interesting. He is, yeah. he is playing, he has got the, the lens completely unfocused. And what yeah. he's doing is using whatever he's actually pointing the camera at to create unique sort of like luminance patterns on the on the on on screen with like different colors. Um, right. It, it it is it is not visually very chaotic, like on a relative scale. It, it is, is. It is not chaotic, but it around. is. It's not chaotic, but it is frenetic. Yeah. My my point is more that like he's he's shaking around the camera to move that those luminance patterns around and create right. new ones. But right. it's not the same like cutting thing where he's like, like you spend more time on each of those visuals than him and a lot of his other pre- like the other stuff. Like he'll shake the camera because I think he wants you to engage with like the sort of how the light moves around, but he's not that interested in like yeah, creating an almost epileptic sort of Right, like a lot of his other work is is deeply uncomfortable to watch because the the sort of how chaotically the cuts happens, they they can actually make you feel very uncomfortable and would I believe probably be very dangerous if you are somebody yes. suffering from epilepsy. Yes, um, this one has a less of that feeling to it because it's mostly a still Im- uh, not a still image, but it's a it's a recording of a single location and he just shakes the camera around a bunch. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, I found this one to be my least favorite of this whole set. I, me too, with a few exceptions. Um, I think. Okay, go ahead. I. Much of what I like about Brackage is that in being visual music, as he describes it, or visual poetry, as as we have described it independently before we encountered him going visual music. 
uh, there's something narrative in what we're seeing. Yeah. It's abstract, but it, it tells a story or takes us on a journey that we can, we can see a building, you know, sometimes it's uh, a day in his life. Sometimes the only narrative is that it ends with a sunrise and ends or, or it begins with a sunrise or ends with a sunset. So that there's a, a clear passage of time is what we're looking at. Right. Right. This one, there's no internal passage of time. It just seems to be, I don't know, maybe if I were more familiar with London in a way that I could discern what we're seeing. But that would, you would uh, be, it would be impossible. That we would be, like, maybe maybe we're on a visual journey through London in a way that we're dealing with things, as he says, in uh, a, a march of England's history or whatever, or or we're seeing it geographically set up in a way that would make sense. But all I'm seeing here is a bunch of random images that don't flow together except for the colors he has applied to them. And those right. don't even always flow together. No, they don't. I, I wonder if 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 maybe somewhere deep inside... Like, here's my thing is that, like, Brackage's art style doesn't feel like he would put in the time to... It's just not his style to, like, have, like, planned out in a way where, like, there would be, like a, like, a sort of, like... Jap- or a, a sort of England's historical arc sort of narrative right, to right. it. Like, that just doesn't feel like that seems like so much planning that it doesn't feel like how he does things. So, like, I I suspect it is it is probably just a borders on a geographical tour of, of uh, like, London. Um, the parts I like, and he plays with it much more in the other ones. So this is just a thing that shows up here that I really like, is when he has bright lights sort of overexposed colored bright lights usually i think car lights and and stop lights and stuff overexposed where you know he's got the contrast really high so like it's like a bright light on a completely black background and um it's really overexposed and 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 also he's using i guess like extremely high iso film so he's getting a lot of film grain into the like the lights themselves are like grainy and they're moving around. Those patterns are neat. Like I like watching those patterns on the screen. I find them like I find that those visuals very relaxing. Yeah. Um. Like where it kind of looks like a sun burning in the sky or something like that. In space. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought Stuff that like was that. very nice. And those there's sort of neat. a pulsating bar moving over that sun as yeah. if it is yeah. setting or rising. Yeah. And so I like that stuff. I don't. He doesn't do it a lot in this one. Though, but that was the part that caught my attention a lot in this. Mostly, this is just, this feels the most, though, like, if I had to point at something, this feels the most, beyond, like, the painted stuff that we get into later, and so, this feels very much like an actual, um, much more like, uh, how do I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to say, much more like static artwork than a lot of his other work, like, mm-hmm. this feels like you would put this on, and I think this about a lot of his work, but you would just, like, run this on a loop somewhere. And yeah, it, because because it's so it it's because it's less like wild in a lot of ways. It, it's easier to sort of try to like read it um, in that sense. But I, it's not my favorite piece. It's it's fine. I don't. I I also think his description of it um, points to him not really knowing what to say about it either. That description yeah. was nonsensical, uh, and the nonsensical of it makes it sound like the sort of thing that you write on a paper about your 
Like I did this thing for like my portfolio or whatever. I don't know what the fuck this is. Right, right. Like right. I need to make something up so that like Well I, I believe justify it. <laughs> I believe I pulled that uh unsighted uh those quotes come from I think the description of the film unsighted off of Letterboxd. It sounds uh, like something so, Brackage would say. Uh, yeah. I mean I'm I'm sure they're accurate quotes. I just don't know where they come from. Yeah. Uh, I mean this one this one does feel a little bit more like Brackage is just sort of playing around and like decided to like finish the thing he was playing around with. Yeah. Put a name on it, put it yeah. out. Obviously, you know, strata, we get the layers of of rock or something. We get unconscious London in that this is sort of a stream of conscious set of images of London maybe yeah, one could argue. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. Uh, like the title makes sense for what it is, I guess, in retrospect, but I I am more apt to engage, particularly with the silence films from Brackage, with ones where I can apply a narrative to it. Right, and I get what you're saying. And, and I, I think we, you know, obviously, like, we tend to read narratives into them pretty hard sometimes. Yeah. And, like... That is one of the ways like, my my brain consumes information. So. But, but also I think to a certain extent, like this one struggles for me partially because even the ones that don't have any sort of narrative, I can read tend to have sort of like the arc of a song. Yeah. And we'll have like a sort of a high, they'll like sort of they'll like hit a real high, a few like crescendos. Right. And they'll right, kind of have right. low points. This one doesn't feel that much like it has that stuff in it. It feels more like just a barrage um, to quote uh, Wolverine. Um, but like, and, and the ones in the past that have felt like that have always been my least favorite. The ones where it just feels like I'm just being bombarded by images and I'm not really feeling the music go up and down. Right. Like where I couldn't in my head attach music to it if I wanted to or something like that. Uh, I will tell you the truth. I watched several of these with me, with my own, uh, accompaniment because my kids decided they wanted to listen to music in the same room and I, I wasn't going to stop them. So I go watch a movie in silence. So several of these had very odd soundtracks for me this time. Uh, and, and honestly made them all better. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the one next one, one but. yeah, the next one chronologically is the one with, with a soundtrack yes. for us this time. And that is Boulder blues and pearls and ellipsis uh, from 1992 with music like the one with music last week by Rick Corrigan. This one, the music by Rick Oregon, has a named name. Yeah, I uh, saw itself that. for percussive movements by Rick Corrigan. Uh, I, which... I like his name because it is, uh, <laughs> I guess, accurate. Uh, yeah. The music is is really interesting. Like the music is probably the most interesting part of this film in a lot of ways for me. Um, yeah, I think if I were if. If you gave me this piece of Rick Corrigan music and told me that it was divided into movements, I probably would have divided it into at least five movements. Yeah, uh, maybe. Something about where two flows into three flows into four is a, was a little confusing to me. I feel like one and two had pretty distinct changes in what yeah, they I were, think so, yeah. that I could name them as separate movements. Uh, but unless unless movement four was only about 30 seconds long in this 
22 minute piece. It's I definitely possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, right? Is that like we, given the sort of um, the nature of the music that we're we're listening to, right. um, movements can be a little hard to discern, right? Like, what, right, right, it's, right, it's right. mostly in in this situation in the author's head, right? Like, it's yeah. what he has decided. This is where there's a break in in yeah. the sort of this right. in the style. Corrigan's music here. First off, this whole thing really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what I. All my favorite things about Brackage, we got the painted frames, we've got uh, superimpositions, yes. uh, images of trees and buildings layered on top of each other, accompanied by Corrigan's music here, which is almost industrial, but not, I mean, there's a there's a type of electronic music called industrial, and that's not right. what I mean here. Uh, Corrigan's sounds are like a factory sounds at some point. Electronified, yes, but... Uh, there's a point in, I think, movement two or three where we get this driving, like, metallic hammer beat. Yes, uh, yeah. It, it sounds kind of like a train. My my family yeah. identified it as a train. I don't think it is actually a train, yeah. but it, but it well, sounds there is, like one. There is a point where we get a train on screen during during that music, right. so it sort of drives that home, too. Uh, there's a point where, where the music almost sounds like a, like a clock. Ticking. Well, there's there's one uh, part where the part that like most sticks in my mind of the music is the um, where it sounds like the audio has gone wrong. You know what yes. I mean? Where like where like it it fritzes out and it's it's sort of electronic distortion, like really yeah. extreme electronic distortion on what would be nor like what is some sort of other actual music uh, that is right worrying like because you're like, well, is my speaker yeah. broken? Like, it's, uh, but then once you're like, well, no, this is part of it for sure. Like it's radio interference, yeah. but it's also getting further away as, yes, as yeah, it's happening. Yeah. It's really well, it's radio interference combined with like it's like digitized radio interference because there's a certain amount of sort of like bleepy bloopiness to it that implies like digitization. Yeah. That I, yeah. there's it's real neat. It's super yeah. interesting to listen to. Um, right, and that that particular bit is over over images of snow and ice, and then painted black frames with blotchy color that reminded me a lot of his film Black Ice, which came out just a couple years after right. this, which is one of the ones that we watched for volume one, which was a, I think a minute and a half of just very black painted uh, with with sort of squiggles of color and then suddenly toward the end a very bright flash of color, which is one of the ones right. I think very much when I think of narrative within uh within Brackage's abstract work is that black ice is the story of someone slipping on ice. It is waddling across the ice and then falling. And we get that bright flash of the hit. Um, Um, So yeah. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot, this one has so much to sort of recommend it. I'm a huge fan of when he imposes multiple shots of, of rippling water on top of each other. And it's really, it's really nice footage of rippling water. That's the thing that gets me about Brackage is that, like, he works very hard to hide that, like, when he wants to just shoot, like, extremely good footage with, like, good lighting of something, it's something he's extremely good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, his his art itself is sort of designed to hide how good he is at that. Yeah. Like, when he yeah. shoots w- the lighting on the water, it's, it's impeccable. Like, his, his sense of, like lighting of light is really really um 
astonishing, Absolutely. really. Absolutely. It, 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 because, like, he's, you know, because he's filming, the, he's recording, he's putting it on film. So, like, he really has no way to, to truly know that he got what he wanted until it was over. And, like, but it's just always impeccably done. Like, whenever he's like, oh, I need this volume of light in this this shot, like, this amount of light, this amount of darkness, it's just, it's perfect. It's, like, and the, and the, the water, the, whenever he does water, it, it, it makes it, it hits it home really clearly to me that this is a person who knows very much what he's doing, uh, is very talented, but also, like, has no interest in making sure that you as the audience can recognize that talent in his work, necessarily, you know what I mean? He's sort of burying it on purpose, is interesting. Right, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, those see, I mean, there's a reason why they're like the cover scene for this. Like, or, you know, they're they're you see every so often you'll see that as part of like a, the cover for like brackage work on some other places, yeah. like one of yeah. those water yeah. scenes where it overlaps because right. it's just so fucking good. Yeah, and I, I, I've already been on record in previous episodes that brackage with sound makes me engage better because my brain uh yeah needs that uh brackage with Corrigan's soundtrack particularly i find Corrigan's soundtracks to be extremely complimentary to what yeah, brackage they, is they, doing they, and they what, work what fantastically doing, right yeah what Corrigan is doing with with music and sound it, it is very much in line with what brackage is doing right visually and like they make they they're they're a perfect match it's Amazing. <laughs> I don't I wish there were a lot more of them. <laughs> I wish yes. those were a majority of the things we had watched, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Me as well. Which Me is not well. fair because like I what I mean is like I wish Brackage had done more of it. I don't want to sort of disparage the things he did that isn't sound like, oh, without sound it's garbage. No, but like really wish he had like really run with this for like a long time. Instead yeah. of what appears to be like a very short stint of sound, right? Yeah, and it does. Scrolling through his filmography, it does look like there, there are a number with sound, um, higher than than we would have expected, uh, and I assume that everything as we work through the late eighties and into the nineties that has accompanying sound, uh. Well, I got it's a pretty big assumption, but I bet a lot of it has uh soundtrack like this, either by yeah, Oregon sure. or I by mean, someone I, else. I don't think he's despite the fact that in my mind, I I would honestly believe in my mind Brackage seems like the sort of person who would like have a song in his mind to a certain extent when he's working on stuff. That isn't yeah. what Corrigan is making. You know what I mean, necessarily? Like, Corrigan's audio, like, his music is in line with what Brackage does visually, but I doubt that's what Brackage hears in his head when he's doing his work. Uh, I don't I don't expect we'll ever get, like, something like classical music or, like, even, like, uh, some, like, experimental jazz or something like that playing in a Brackage film despite the fact that I can very clearly imagine him constructing his films with those sort of things in his mind right um, uh, 
especially something like experimental jazz or something like that that has a, a sort of that also its own built-in sort of discordance and stuff and uh yeah sort of um kind of like off the cuff nature that would match his his visual style also but like i i doubt we'll ever have anything like that i think we're this is the sort of soundtrack that actually meshes visually so it's the sort of thing he would want to put in there yeah Um, yeah and And, and it works really well it's real good i can see scrolling through the filmography wikipedia page that uh that there are other credited musicians or or sound artists other credited people as providing the sound for some of the ones that are labeled as having sound. Uh, so I'd be, I'd be interested to see if the others are sort of experimental. It would be neat to see. Yes. I, uh, I would, I don't know how we will ever make that happen. I don't really, right. I'm going to be burned out on brackets for a pretty long time after this. Yes. Yes. Um, at least one of the ones we'll be watching next week has sound. We'll be watching real five, of a piece called Ellipsis that was five reels that Brackage said could be played in other, any order, uh, but okay. only number five has sound. Uh, and according to IMDb, at least, it is not sound by Corrigan. It is a song called Flocking by James Tenney, performed by Gertrude Schneider and Thomas Bockley. Uh, well, so we're gonna we look forward to next week to figure out what that is. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to hear it. Yeah, because um, that makes it... I don't, I don't know, something in the way that is described and written by one person performed by two people implies uh, something more something instrumentative more. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, so anyway, look forward to that because I look forward to any bracket with sound at this point, basically. Right. Um, so. I, it's understandable. It is. Yeah. It, and, and I think to a certain extent that is a side effect of even in our new iteration of the way we're doing brackets, it still is spending enough time each week that like the sound almost creates a reprieve where you're like, Oh, thank God there's sound in the room. It really, um, it just really helps me pay attention better. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and yes. And especially when it matches, like I said, the, my, my soundtracks this week did not match the music, the, the visuals at all. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't really help I'm that sure. much. <laughs> I'm sure. So, uh, we get, we get a bonus feature brackage talking about this one a little bit. Um, and to hear him talk, all of the visuals we see in this one are drawn from Boulder, Colorado, in and around Boulder. Well, Colorado. yeah, yeah, it, it's it's that that clip is really funny in the sense that like just because it's taken out of context and it's just it almost sounds like I know he's talking about Boulder, Colorado, but like it sounds like it's meant to be a word puzzle or something because he's just <laughs> naming places in Boulder, Colorado without right. saying Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Well, so it's just a really funky, like, it's just very funny. And also, yes, he, I don't know anything about Boulder, Colorado, so it sounds like he's just making shit up. Yeah, but he's also talking to students at University of right, Colorado, I, Boulder, in that moment. So, yeah, like, I know. It's, we have no context for that that the audience who's actively hearing this of course. has, right? Like when he talks about up near Ho Chi Minh Trail, yeah, it turns out was like, what? Ho Chi Minh Ho Chi Minh Trail is a nickname students at University of Colorado Boulder have for a certain hiking trail. Uh, yeah, seems like a bad uh, nickname. Seems like they it, shouldn't have that nickname. It was, I think, it was named because it was a dangerous hike. It makes no sense. It is. Right. It is a bunch of '70s college students talking out of their asses. Right. 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 
But yeah. um, no, I, that one threw me because I was like, what? And then, and then they like he talked about these like elephant foot statues. I don't know any. I've never been to Boulder, yeah. Colorado. I've never. My only experience with Boulder, Colorado, is when a cooking show, what one cooking show, went to Boulder, Colorado, and all they did was like show the main street, and they're like, "Ah, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Let's go to Telluride, or whatever." <laughs> and like that was it. And I'm like, "What is he talking about?" Uh, it was. It is. Yeah. It well, is it's wild. also. It's also not. Not particularly, it's not broadly about Boulder, Colorado. It's particularly about campus, right? right so it's even right. more insular to things we don't know anything about. And he even says when talking to these students that half the things don't exist anymore. Yeah, so. that was that was the funny thing to me. So it's like you're talking to these students. I don't, what, do we know what year this <laughs> no was? Idea. Well, uh, oh, no idea. Let's see if I can find it on. Uh, Is it connected to the other ones, the other interviews? It looks the I mean, same they because are, because he has one specific sitting style and one outfit. Right. So. They are they, right. <laughs> they could be completely timeless. They're probably decades apart. Now they all they all are. Uh, the bonus features refer to them as Brackage's Sunday salons at the University of Colorado, oh dear implying God. more than one. Right, but, but probably of a of a roughly of a time period. They probably don't span yeah. a lot of years would be my guess yeah. because presumably i imagine they wouldn't let him do this forever <laughs> i don't know he's got tenure so <laughs> he can do what he wants um i don't know maybe he didn't have tenure uh anyway yeah so they seem to be drawn from it was probably come on a sunday watch one of his films hear him talk about it ask questions about it uh well, yeah what, what just yeah. fascinating me is that he lived in colorado long enough that like he's right. Those could be at any time. Right? They could be at any time, and then there's just all this like, oh, none of that stuff exists anymore. It's such a wild thing to say to a bunch of twenty year olds. Yeah, about like a campus, like, like they're all there for like four years, but he's gonna be there for like, I guess, decades. And it's just a yes. very, it's just a. It is important to bear in mind that that Brackage is both a brilliant artist and also a crotchety old man <laughs> at a relatively young age becomes very clearly a kind of crotchety old man. Who's like, ah, oh, this is all film. I shot 25 years ago of shit that doesn't exist anymore. Like, you know, but like the way he talks about it is all like, you know, the things, this is a, this, 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 and this, those, and the things. And he's like, but they don't exist anymore. It's like, so yeah. like these have no context for them either. Like they're just as decontextualized for them as it is for everybody else. Just it's just funny. I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know when he was teaching. I don't know if these were while he was teaching, or if they like invited him back because he still lived in the area until two thousand two. Alternatively, he just snuck on campus every Sunday and just right. did it without their permission. Maybe another possibility. Maybe. maybe. Ah, that's the the, the janitor sort of... rolls by and it's like son of a bitch. He's back. <laughs> I thought I changed those locks. <laughs> just looks over to the door. The locks just ripped off the ripped off the door. Yes. He is Brackage in this way is indistinguishable from said previously discussed raccoons. Yes, yes. Climbs yes. it through scratch there's just a hole scratched a window nearby. Like, yes. Ah, chases ah. him out with a broom. Excellent. All right. Um well let's move on to the Mammals of Victoria yes. from nineteen ninety four, yeah. which is the longest piece we have, one of the longest pieces we have in this entire volume two set at 34 minutes and nine seconds 
Uh, it's uh, also in 16 millimeter, also silent. Uh, so at 34 minutes in silent, you can guess how easy it was for me to pay attention but to. But here's the thing. Uh, no, this I is kid. Visually because my this one of these. This one is very visually engaging. It absolutely uh, is. It is. It is. So I I love so this one is so good. I I I really, really like this one. Yeah. My family was even watching. The kids were like, "What is why they were just getting mad because they're like, why does he keep showing this? Like the like because he keeps cutting back to that little sand mound. And yes, like, yes. And like, and I've I've they've been watching me watch Brackage like for like yeah. over a month now. Right. And I've I've explained to them multiple times that this is not like film as they under like story right. film as they understand it. Right. It's more like art pieces, but this one is very long, but it's also really really beautiful. It's also yeah. got the most sort of like clear just straight up visuals that we've seen from brackage in a yes. long time. Yeah. In a lot, certainly out of this set, uh, we get the clearest images of anything. Uh, yeah. So this is the second film in a set that is referred to as the Vancouver Island films. There Let were me guess where they shot at Vancouver Island. Yes. Yes. There were four of them. And ultimately, he and his second wife and their two children moved to Vancouver in 2002. Uh, but this is a decade before that, right? Uh, but yeah, um, the Vancouver Island films. Uh, I don't think, I don't think we'll see any others in the Vancouver Island set. Um, I, yeah, the next week does not give us randomly another Vancouver Island for whatever reason, you know. Um, so it's just this. Uh, so once again, we have that that thing where they just give us one of a a cycle of films, right? Uh, right, and, and and I think we are meant to understand that this is relatively like representative of of the um, of the set, right? Yeah, I think we are to take away that, like, well, you get the idea of what this right, is, right? 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 Yeah, um, the f- it looks like the final Vancouver Island film was made after he actually moved to Vancouver, so there's that. So he um, moved to Vancouver in 2002. So like he moved to Vancouver really close to his passing. So that's yes. also yes, um, he was. Here's a, a a thing I don't think we've talked about with Brackage yet. In 1996, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Okay, and he traces that bladder cancer to toxins in the paint he used for the painted films possible yeah um and he had his bladder removed and thought that that had taken care of things but then the cancer came back in around 2002 uh and yeah it's in 2002 where he he gives a public interview that said where he says that he blames the the toxicity of uh the aniline dyes in the paints. Um, so yeah, they moved to Victoria, British Columbia, not, not Vancouver itself. Um, and, uh, but that's Vancouver Island, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> in 2002 and then he died in 2003, like the very next year. Right. So yeah. Um, and he's working on a number of things and we'll see a number of his last works in, in next week's set. But, but yeah, so these Vancouver Island films, this one at least, is 1994, and this is, I think, number two, so we've got one at least 
before this. Uh, presumably, Maryland has some sort of tie to the Vancouver area is why. Yeah, I think that's the assumption yeah. that we would make, right? That like yeah. this is probably a sort of like returning to a place where she has a support network or something like that. Right, right, right. I right. Assume. Um, yeah, I don't know. This one is so visually interesting. I, I, He's doing that thing that like I commented on in the other ones where like uh not as much in this one but he's still doing it where he's where he's using just like I, it, I my only guess is that it's like we're just dealing with extreme film grain and I really I like it visually um he's shooting night shots and presumably he's just got the ISO cranked to you know yeah. max and just you know letting, yeah. like the only way to catch any image is it, it, it just creates a really interesting visual effect that I like a lot. Yeah. That, that, is this the one? I'm, I'm getting a little confused. There's one in this series that we watched this week where we actually get proper video noise again. Not film grain, but actual video noise. And I don't remember if this is the one or not. It might Ooh. be the next one. There's one. There's one, and I lost track. I, I meant to write it down, and I forgot. I was like, oh, shoot, that one's inter- like because he doesn't use it very often in his work, but he does occasionally well, usually to make a point. It's certainly not the last one we have to talk about, which is from f- from first him to the night, Novalis, because that's painted. That's and, all painted. And scratched. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I can't I, I'm not going to be able to find it. But one of the four that we watched this week had. Just a just a couple brief scenes of like of video noise, and I was and whenever I, it shows up, it's really neat to me because it shows that that's a thing he could be playing with, and sometimes does, but doesn't use very widely. It's very rare for him. Yeah, um, but he blends it in with the ISO the the film grain in that yeah. like you I believe later it is get a one. film grain shot. I believe it is this one. It's toward I the end of so. this one. Yeah. Uh, we get like a fade to white in the last few minutes of this one and then more paint and then what seemed like t- recordings off of television screens like he's filming a television yeah, screen. Yeah, no, almost. I think it doesn't did. have I've... that it doesn't have the crossbar that you would get from shooting well, shooting I... a television screen with a 60 millimeter film that out of syncness but uh but it's video interference but it's still filmy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It it almost have to be because there's almost no other way for him to capture it. Like right, even, right, right. even to this day, there's not really a good way to capture video interference without like yeah. pointing a camera to screen. And of course, he could have physically manipulated the camera in a way that yeah, you can you can mess with the with the filming speed to like the shutter speed yeah. to make it sort of like apparently there. I was doing a re- some reading the other day like about the way they used to do it with like there was a shutter lock where like the they would like it would sync up the shutter speed on the camera and the uh yeah and and to match the tv speeds the tv's refresh rate yeah. there's a whole bit of technology you know, that doesn't that, exist anymore because nobody needs it anymore now that i think about it i think there was that static actually throughout i remember particularly at the end but i'm pretty sure there was some in the beginning as there's well so, there's and, and, multiple and i think there's yeah. multiple but it's not a lot like it it's it's used sparsely but it it is always interesting to me whenever i see it in his work because yeah. he's not it's not the first time there were some other um um, right, films that we watched earlier that had some of that like video noise and um, yeah, because it's just neat. Because I, I think this one, I think this one started with like video static or UHF sort of static over top of the waves, and then we fade to black and come back to like a clearer well, picture that, of the same well, that's waves. The interesting and that's thing a different that, thing, right? Yeah, there there but, is that, and it, that's really hard to tell because it could be it it might be static, but it. 
it can be very difficult to tell film grain from uh yeah from uh <laughs> right, right 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 from static it, if they, if it's a really really low light condition so yeah um, and that's why he's playing with that sometimes is like the fact that those look very similar um, he definitely play. I, I right. as I tab through this one, he definitely plays with that some. Yeah. Uh, so it's just it's neat, and it's the, the implication of what the mammals of Victoria are, and it's just a <laughs> right, bunch of right. fam. Like it's him, and like I guess it's him. I assume that's him out there. Right. The, yeah. The, like his kids, like some more kids again. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this one, according to Wikipedia, uh, the. Um, the Victoria Island Quartet were meditations on childhood, adolescence, aging, and mortality, respectively. So in this being the second one, uh, and uh, uh, Marilyn Brackage's liner notes for for the Criterion set particularly say this, uh, Titus as the adolescence one as well. Um, it's... In elemental, her notes read, an elemental study in the energies of adolescence. Another example of that particular strand in Brackage's work, as in Boulder Blues and Pearls And, in which he would combine photographic and painted imagery, assured, assuredly weaving together the shimmering fragility of worldly phenomenon and visual experience with both concrete and metaphorical representations of an interior life. Uh, very poetic way of describing it in yeah, describing uh, something that is itself very poetic whether or not you you particularly I, draw those things from it right yeah i mean that's well that's always the fact whenever whenever people describe art with that kind of language i i can't help myself but like because i enjoy his artwork fundamentally but yes. I always I get a little annoyed when 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 the sentence starts to the sort of sentence itself starts to eat itself yeah, uh, and becomes it becomes overwrought, uh, and we're to the point where like no reasonable human being would be able to make it from beginning to end a sentence and actually know, and be able to like summarize the sentence into one complete thought. Um, you know what I'm talking about? The the yeah. you know that kind of like artistic language annoys me, but uh, I will admit that this is very uh, very good. Um, I it's interesting to think of it as adolescence. Um, there is a sort of playfulness to it that is yeah. that is definitely there. Um, it is definitely a uh, a much more it is a very playful work, and it's it's interesting to imagine what those other works were like because of the trying to cover a sort of like lifehood cycle, and and so therefore the latter ones will be more intimately associated with death and destruction. Um, these ones don't feature those images, right? Like though this one does not feel that way it doesn't have a, a sense of death or impending doom to it uh right right it's somber still to a certain extent like i mean like and that, that you know you bring it you get what you bring into it right but like i read this this still feels like an older not, i want to imply that like mid-60s is old but he it is far enough in his life where he is reflexive ra- like reflective rather than like necessarily looking yeah i think forward. that's fair i think this um, is this is an older person's look at the adolescent energy of spending an afternoon on the beach. Right. And, and, and to a certain extent, that kind of view back at adolescence and back at those memories have a certain sort of 
there's always a sort of built-in sadness to it. There's always a sort right. of built-in somberness to the idea of looking back at like your at youth, right? At, at, yeah. At what it meant but, to be able to just run on the beach and stuff like that. But the idea of this being Brackage now looking back, not producing a movie that is about adolescence, but about Brackage's relationship to his own adolescence right, now. Right. Then the static and the interference makes even it all makes more a lot sense, of sense, right? Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. It, it, this, I think this is a very well constructed piece. I, yeah. my main argument is, I think you can describe what he's doing here in language that is easier to understand by human, by right, by right. the human mind. Um, it seems very clear to me. Like it, it, it feels with with even just the slightest bit of description about the way the perspective that it's taking. It is so easy to read this piece. And I think to a certain extent, its clarity of purpose makes it one of my favorites. Uh, whenever Brackage, whenever it's a li- just a slight bit easier to parse what Brackage is going for, yeah. it automatically renders the piece a thousand times better for me. Right, right. I, uh, you know, a particular aspect, obviously we see some a couple frolicking in the water at one point. But there are moments where uh, sort of that playing in the water is emulated by the camera movements where we get mm-hmm. these you know crooked angles of the camera zooming over the water uh, and twirling over the water uh, that are really visually interesting to me. Uh, I re- yeah, I really love the visuals in this. I, oh, well, I mean, yeah, it, it's one of those. It's it, this. This is a very striking piece. Like right. I'm like reviewing it, like trying to remember scenes that I really like, and like I had forgotten. I made a note in my head about it when I watched it, and then we got talking. I forgot, but like he does these shots where he's again really, really like mess with the exposure quite a bit. Yeah, to create a lot of contrast where it's light dapples dancing on the water, and it's pure black with pure white light. It is yes. So pretty. It is it's, remarkable. <laughs> yes. Again, it goes to match what we talked about before just a little while ago about like this is a person who's extremely good at what he does, but what he does is hide his own right capabilities. Right. Hides his own talent for for he has a masterful relationship to light itself. Right. The stuff he does over top of that doesn't lessen it right no because he's still he's building on it in in the same way but even if brackage weren't doing all of the other things on top of it just his relationship to light is so artistic and beautiful that (laughs) that that itself if that's all he did that itself would yeah it would be it would be beyond it would be yeah uh would be masterpieces uh and then he he does other stuff with it, and he's never messing it up. Uh, no, no. But what yeah. he does is, but what he does is like does obscure it in the sense yeah. that like you have to like kind of like visually dig around to start you you have to watch fourteen hours of brackage is basically right. what I'm saying to right. like to start really I think appreciating sort of the underlying filming technique that goes into it and you could see it evolve over time those earlier pieces because we've gone very like very linearly through his life here mm-hmm. he was a good he was a good at, he was good at filming before but you can see a sort of evolution from what still kind of had a i'm sure on purpose but a kind of 
almost home video vibe to it to like what is evolving into something extremely like delicately produced in that it, it, like it's not exactly fair because like obviously when we go back and look at them the ones that are in the um the cliff dwellings like the lighting is extremely good in those like don't get me wrong right. like he's he's very good at it back then uh but you can see how his 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 style has evolved to be more the filming itself has gotten more abstract in a certain extent like more more focused on just the light and less focused on like the actual thing on screen like even when he's filming like the animals and like the bird in this and stuff it's all silhouettes across like the light it, it's it's all playing with light in just a really kind of remarkable way that i i i'm overwhelmed um there's like it's it's really and then like yeah he gets all this like kind of there's one section where there's like all this bouquet like kind of effect it's just really neat i yeah and and honestly it's a really weird thing to like because like ah that piece of film that i will never ever ever be able to recommend to anybody to go sit dead and watch for like 34 minutes like please go sit and watch this 34 minutes or 33 minutes of silence it's really beautiful i promise you uh <laughs> it's just it's just it's so I don't know how to it, it's a very interesting experience to have that like this is one of those cases where Criterion this this project has put us in a place to watch something that like I would never personally willingly necessarily engage with. Yeah. But my experience with Brackets the first time and the this now the second time sort of um sort of reifying it has really affected me a lot. <laughs> like it sounds really stupid, but like I, my relationship to art has has been dramatically affected by experiencing Brackage. Yeah, I, I will say. I yeah um, no, I think I you know we in the first episode at least of of this set we talked about Godard as well, right? And and right. the way Godard and Brackage both are sort of trying to strip film down to basics but re rebuilding those basics in new ways right using using those and godard the reason he came up was that uh brackage in part of stripping away also strips away sound and language to a certain extent wholly and that's that's something godard would never do at least in our experience no right? yeah could, no. could probably never do and and of course we're recording this on on a day as well that uh Jean-Luc Godard has died today. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he's on my mind again. Uh, but, you know, I think as as much as I have trouble with Godard sometimes, I think what Godard was doing in the 60s, uh, particularly as we approach 68, but, but even not necessarily when he gets political, certainly while he's getting political too in 68 to the early 70s, he is he's really changing film language in a particular way. Right. And, and he's doing, Godard is doing it in a way that catches on broadly. Brackage is also changing film language. Brackage is complete. <laughs> Brackage is dissecting film language and reassembling it. Right. I mean, like Brackage is a much more elemental yeah. deconstruction than Godard. Right. Like Godard right. is like, Godard is like taking the, like the, car down to all the pieces whereas right. brackage is literally melting it down to slack yes. right and being right. like godard godard is breaking the car down into very uh, into pieces 
uh, and then rebuilding something that's still drivable. Yeah, rebuilding a motorcycle then, or yeah, whatever out of and, it. And building something that other people will will drive later. Right, right. right. Brackage is breaking it down to something so elemental that certainly it's not what Brackage wanted. But but even if it were something he wanted, what he's doing is not something that could catch on in a mainstream. Godard is changing. No. Godard is yeah. changing film for the mainstream. Uh, Brackage is changing film for art. Uh, right. Well, and Brackage is, and I I have to assume there are other people working in this field, especially over the course of like his entire oh, lifetime. Yeah, like, certainly, he has to. I I like the, would love to know all the people he inspired, like a list of them. Um, I don't think Wikipedia has that, but like. Yeah. But like, I mean, you could certainly see like places where Brackage is referenced by people, and right. you don't—you probably don't get to the point of referencing Brackage without like, you're not just offhandedly referencing Brackage without having seen some of Brackage's work. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, it's hard for me to believe somebody just like tossing Brackage around like it's a household name or something right. like that. But, but what I mean is, is Brackage is playing in a space that like, is is in is. I have to believe that some of his early stuff is is very early in this is is definitely playing a major part in the sort of the idea of like the 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 creation of like I don't know how, it's even hard to articulate the words for it, but like like reify is where I keep coming out or like purified art film yeah. like where it's like there's no there's no edifice like really of story here or anything like that. This is like, it is, it is, you know, he doesn't like abstract, but it like abstract is such a fucking good word. Like, right. It it is the difference between truly abstract painters and like previous generations of painting. Right. Like we're like, Oh, like you don't need to have some of the things you think you need to have in here for it to be beautiful. Like, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, I, well, and I and I think about like when you like some of the kind of art that I really like and engage with pretty heavily, you know, the acknowledgement that there doesn't a, a thing that kind of comes up is like there are no rules in this, and like right. it, Godard, or, um, Godard still believes in rules. Well, Go- he, Godard he believes in, in the rules, the rules and manipulating them and and things right. like that. But right. like he still feels a need to write a story. Yes, Godard Godard believes in playing with those rules right. and breaking them at times in ways that are surprising or uh, would be could be written off as amateurish in his early days. Right. Um, you know, there are there are scenes in like I, I think Pierre Lefau, um where uh, oh, there's jump cuts in a scene that. Uh, are obviously different different stagings of the same scene. Like the characters will be in different positions, oh, right. despite yeah, not yeah, having yeah, yeah. having the time uh, mentally, visually to have moved to those positions. Uh, you know, which is a thing that breaks the illusion of film. And Goddard's doing that on purpose, right? Right. Um, whereas Brackage is Brackage just doesn't care about film in that manner. Right. No, right. yeah, I mean, he's not breaking the illusions of film. Yeah. He's not. In, he's right. basically not engaging with them at yeah. all, except for as maybe right. as a counterpoint to those even existing. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, now, of course, we have something like uh, what was a dog, dog star moon or whatever the you know where it was a narrative thing that he was starring in, Dog Star Man, uh, where it was a narrative thing that he was starring in that that was visual of him in the woods, and you know, occasionally we get that sort of narrative stuff from Brackage and of course we have 
documentary from Braggage, like with the act of seeing with one's own eyes. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's approaching a type of mainstream film in a way. Right. But by and large, Braggage's visual music is not concerned with commercial film in any means. And right. <laughs> that's, you know, that's why Tarkovsky was mad at him, right? You right, know, right, exactly. What is this, and, paint? <laughs> um, yeah, like, what yeah. are you doing? But like, and that's the thing, right, is that you, it would be like, and, and you can see where that, where that all works, right? Is that like, where that all comes from, right? Is like, Tarkovsky is also somebody who's very experimental and, and but like not in the same way, not in the same no, kind, no. like totally a different tenor of experimentation. Right. So it's like you've brought in like I, I I'm trying to think of an analogy, but you're basically just dealing with somebody playing in an entirely different game of yeah. an entirely different sport and being like right. like, oh, you know, I play you know, basketball and then you bring in a and like no one's ever seen this sport before and you bring in a baseball player and be like look at this game I look at this yeah. game I'm playing and they're like what the fuck are you doing right now you're like have you like it doesn't make any sense with the language that you're like with the sort of verbiage and language that you have to apply to it right like if you're applying film language to it have you have you ever seen Scandinavian baseball no uh Scandinavian I feel like baseball you're going to lie to me right now it it sounds it'll sound like it's a lie Scandinavian baseball is uh, it might it might be particularly to a Scandinavian country and I'm not remembering which one, uh, but a guy in the early 20th century or late 19th century came over to America, saw a baseball game played, went back to his home country and said, "Hey, I saw this really great game played, but couldn't remember everything about it." <laughs> All the rules. So, so like the bases are like Z shaped, uh, like the base lines go in a Z, like first base is off to the left and third, second base is where first base should be and third base is where second base should be. Oh my uh, God. And uh, <laughs> the videos I've seen from it seem to be from different uh, different fields, but on both of them, one of the foul lines has a creek running parallel to it. So like there's a camera in the creek in the videos I've seen and you'll see somebody hit a fa- hit hit a hit a ball that goes over the foul line and they'll cut to this camera and, and it'll be like the shortstop just diving into the creek to catch the ball. Oh my god. Um, and it's very silly. But but to me what God, what Godard is doing with film is Scandinavian baseball. It's Right, okay. It's a lot of the same rules sort of rearranged and some of them are changed when they need to be changed when he wants to change them to to do something, uh, but it's all it's all mixed up. What Brackage is doing is taking all of the pieces of baseball and making like a board game out of them, or, well, yeah, <laughs> or making and, and making rea- something my, completely different with right, my, with the same my, base pieces. Yeah, my but something that isn't that. <laughs> I, my analysis of it is more to the effect because like I think even the board game falls apart because like there are. <laughs> There's structural rules there. Right, 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 right. Like, it's my impression more that, like, Godard, or, like, Godard's playing Scandinavian baseball, which is, I can't pronounce the, the <laughs> name of this. This is, yeah. I found it on the internet. <laughs> um, but, like, um, Brackage is more like went onto the baseball field, like, grabbed all the pieces and then built a statue of a penguin or something out of them all or something. Just, yeah. There's something radically and wholly unrelated in any capacity, even as far as, like, having rules you know what i mean like it's just 
it's it's so entirely alien to what we experience as film through the collection, right? Like this is the only thing really close to that. Like there's nothing else like this that we've experienced in like what like 550 episodes or whatever it is. Um, it's it's so it's so alien, but like its alienness is is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, he annoys me sometimes, right? Like listening to him talk a lot of times annoys me. Um, can't help it. Um, not all the pieces hit, right? Like some of them, you're just like, ah, this one's not for me. Right. But that's true of any artist, right? Like, right. You know, you can like you can like an artist and not like every piece that they make. You can like an artist and like, you know, you'll have different levels of liking artists. So like, oh, this one's this artist I like enough that like ninety percent of their pieces hit. But like, no artist is like a hundred percent, right? Like nobody's making exclusively like bangers, right? Like, and so my relationship with Brackage has become that like 99% of the time I'm pretty happy with what I've watched. Even if sometimes it's a bit of a slog and I wish he were briefer in his, in his, in his artistic work sometimes like this one is yeah. super beautiful, but it's also 34 minutes, which makes it hard to re like to imagine yeah. revisiting, but Absolutely. it's gotta be one of my favorites. Like it's really so good. Yeah, and and it's fascinating that it is so good and it is so recognizably brackage, but it is also the one of this sort of brackage, this sort of montage brackage, right? That has the most just clear shots of recognizable things, in right? It. Yeah, and 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 that's why you know there's a lot, there's a bunch. I mean, someday I might. If I ever got a bee in my bonnet, I might go back and like see about like categorizing the brackages into like yes. things my favorites. Right. I have like almost a sort of brackage playlist of like well, these are the yeah. brackages like I could watch more than once and be a very happy camper. Yeah. But um yeah, this one and the but those clear images work because I at this point brackage is so engaged with playing with light and even even his like regular images of things oh yeah are really just so nuanced and like like he doesn't just show you like i don't know like he just it's so well done like yeah i think i think what's very interesting in looking at all the baggage that we've looked at so far is that there are clear genres of brackage yes but yeah. they aren't they aren't periods a brackage. Right. He right. is he is doing each of these different types of films throughout his entire career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they individually fit into buckets and sometimes he mixes and matches within one of what right. that genre is. And he does the montage with the painted frames or with something like uh what was it? Uh murder murder uh song. Yeah I can't. Yeah, uh, uh, where it was, it was montage. It was pre-existing video. It was some of his own documentary footage, uh, some of his own uh, narrative footage, and all of that mixed together, right? Um, for better or worse, at points. Right. But but yeah. Um, well, we got one more to talk about yeah. this week, uh, and we might as well do it, right? Um, so. I mean, yes, this one is noticeably much much shorter. It is, it is yes. a a a. What I what has almost I, despite the fact that like yeah I know that they're not in eras but I think of them he gets into time periods where he's using one or more or the other and yes. like 
this one is very akin to like a lot of the ones I've seen before. Like his painted frames are neat. They are they are visually neat. They are um very cool. This yeah. one's intercut with I don't remember it's been a long time since we watched the first volume. Did the first volume painted frames have a lot of intercuts of writing? I uh, almost none, actually. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah. But then like this one has a lot of that. Yeah, this is something very different to that. So so the name of this one is uh from colon uh first hymn to the night presumably that is a of a, a longer piece uh and then novalis is its is subtitle it's from 1994 and it's only about two minutes long um but it's well let's find out if give me a second let's well pull it's up it's fascinating because we've talked about how to engage with writing in brackage films before yeah. Yeah, and and this one's a this fascinating one's one because I'm I I followed my same rules. Yeah, I can only read about half of what um what Brackett writes. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually when he only writes like a single word, I can like hash it out in time. But and but anytime he like writes something more complicated, I get lost and I I I ne- will never know what he wrote. Um. And then it also has like fits and starts in it. Like where he'll like start one and then it just ends. He doesn't finish it. Like he'll like write w- half of a letter. Yeah. And then it'll just like cut off. And it's like, it, I don't know. It's a very interesting piece that way because it seems like to a certain extent, for whatever reason, Brackage feels a need to like mid film give you context for what's going on almost. Yeah. This one's very interesting. So, first off, it despite the title idiosyncrasy from colon first hymn of the night dash novalis this doesn't seem to be part of a broader series right so this would just um, imply that for whatever reason this is what brackage yeah. decided to call the thing yeah um first hymn to the night or possibly maybe from first in the night is the reference here first hymn to him okay here's what it is all right i've got it uh so the poetry in this one is first off it is an actual poem uh, not a brackage. That's what I figured because I assumed Novalis was a real yeah. person, um, which Novalis he is. Yes, yes, um, <laughs> yeah. So him, him to the night is a late 18th century uh, piece by a poet named Frederick Philip von Hottenberg, who used the pen name Novalis. Uh, so we're using uh, text directly from the first movement of him to the night. Uh, and then that is, you know, we get a couple of words and then painted frame. And then, and it's, it's as you said, you know, these couple of words, they're, they're scratched on the emulsion as, as Brackage's titles often are. And as we've seen him put limited amount of words scratched on, onto the emulsion before, but never a full poem like this. Right. Uh, and, you know, Brackage... I found notes from Brackage that break down all of the words he uses. And sometimes he's just trying to put too many words <laughs> into. Yes. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, you've got a certain amount of characters in the, in the way you're doing this. You've got a set amount of space to make something legible. Uh, so when your first sentence is the universality gladdening light, 
that's already too much. You can't. Yeah, you've already yeah. extended beyond your your, yeah. your limits. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he breaks it down in a way where that's multiple frames showing each of those words. But universality, gladdening, those are words that are t- in and of themselves too long to fit on what we well, need. Well, and it makes right? me wonder, like, to a certain extent, like, Brackage has to know this and does yeah. know this. So that just tells me that, like, the thing that I kind of took away from the previous times he's written on screen in really, like, complicated ways, he doesn't necessarily want you to get the word. Right. Like, he's not necessarily putting the words on screen because he thinks you'll be able to read them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important, which is why I, I stuck by my guns and didn't pause. Right, right. Um, I I... I also I, didn't I, pause. I, I just right. found a note from Stan right, Brackage right, right. that had the entirety of right, um, right, the right. words written out. It's just one of those things where it's like, well, it's very clear that, like, at least in the making of it, there was no intention for you to be able to actually read it. Yeah. You're supposed to get a word here, a word there, and right. kind of walk away a bit puzzled as to what, like, was actually written on the, the screen. Um, because, like, his style of writing this stuff was scratching into the into the to the film itself is never going to be clear enough right that no matter that like you, you know what i mean like it, it there's so much it feel it looks and acts very haphazard but there's clearly an intent of purpose and writing in a way that is borderline illegible right using a method that makes it a method that makes no matter how good your handwriting in normal life would be makes what you write <laughs> right. right on the edge of legibility yeah, I um, mean, presumably he's not writing with like a straight razor blade, but he's writing with like an exacto blade. So right, it's, yeah, you know, it's it. You would hold it like a fountain pen, and you could use it like a fountain pen, maybe. But yeah, but, but but also because each frame, because he has to do frame after frame after frame after frame, it is going to by nature do that sort of like old animation wobbliness, right? Yes. Like the, 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 yes. The further you get away from any sort of background reference, the like. Like presumably he's my guess is he's I just taking wild guesses because he has to in order to even make it legible at all, he's gotta put it over something so he can like follow the line and know where he's similar to the way animation works. Um he's gotta have some trick for doing it. Because if you just tried to do this by hand without any reference, you would fuck it up so goddamn royally. It would be actually <laughs> yeah. illegible. Um at this point he, at this point in his life he might be so good at it that he doesn't need it, but certainly at the beginning he probably had some sort of some sort of something to to template it out for him so he could like make it so you could read it. Um but what's interesting is is that he's concerned enough to make it somewhat legible but not concerned enough to make it like really super legible, right? And and that is a fascinating thing to to see because there are ways to clear off like we the thing he's doing with an exacto knife or whatever is not a thing that is unheard of, but like other places and other times people have done it with a lot more um, precision as to like the final result. Right. Right. Like right. Writing on frames is a thing that is done. has been done in film. Right. There's a way there are ways to do it in ways where the, the script comes out extremely legible. Right. This is not that. And it's right. not that on purpose because he could do that and he doesn't want to. So therefore he doesn't want you really to be able to read them the words not not well yeah um it's just an yeah. interesting I, I just think about it all, a lot because whenever we see him write on screen it makes me kind of spiral through the thought process of like what an interesting set of choices where he's made time and time again with his writing because like you'll notice on his intro 
when he puts it as the like the title card, he tends to be much more deliberate about it. It stays up long enough that like you can actually parse through the whole thing when he actually wants you to read the whole thing. Yeah. When he doesn't want you to, you don't get enough time. Like he knows right. exactly how long it takes and you're not going to get it. I think Brackage is very conscious. He is. It's, but, it, but like so. what's funny is it's like similar to what we were talking about with like the filming and his playing with light before is a, is a an intense level of consciousness that is purposely hidden or sort of masquerading as a kind of haphazardness, right? He he, like he's very very conscious of it clearly, but like his chosen medium of 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 what the way he's doing it looks like something that requires no thought. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I mean, right? Like, in reality, if we stop and think about it for even a second, all that scratching and everything like that is extremely difficult. It's time-consuming. It's got to be very careful with it. It's got to work exactly right. Yeah. He's got to think deeply about it. And then he's got to time it out to make sure it lasts long enough for him to be satisfied and for it to match the film in the way he wants it to, which ones are what's legible, what's not. But, like, it looks to... A, outside observation as though you just let like a random teenager scratch at your film. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? And that's a fascinating place to exist art wise, right? Uh, masquerading extreme care and attention as haphazardness and sort right. of uh, right. lack yeah. of attention. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's really an interesting sort of expression uh, of your sort of artistic desires. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, yeah, this one balances the words of that poem with with painted frames and sometimes sometimes the relationship between the words we've just seen and the painted frame are close enough that I have to assume that all of them are sort of the yeah. the, the paint is inspired by the words that Brackett has chosen to show us right before. Um but also what he's brought out is just, you know, he's pulling, I think he's pulling random, not certainly not random, uh, but he's pulling particular words and phrases out of Novalis's work, right? Right. So he is creating sort of a found poem out of the pieces he is pulling. Uh, and then he is making a visual art associated with that found poem out of those right. pieces. It, 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 yeah. And in that sense, right, it is his poem, not right. Novalis's in any capacity, right? This right. Is, he this is using, is... yes, he is using Novalis's words to make his own poem. Yeah. Um, and then making a visual poem that accompanies it. So, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, what we what we already said about Godard here in this episode, we, we get, uh, we get Brackage here, uh, in a very late period of Brackage, even 1994, uh, a piece where Brackage embraces language and embraces right. a more direct word-based communication than than he really had much of at all throughout the rest of uh, the rest of his career. 
Yeah. Right. Well, and what it reminds me of is I can't even remember the name of the piece. It was like in the first volume, like first section we watched. Not the first yeah. volume, but the first section of this one we watched where he's writing on the paper. Yes. You can feel a lot of um a lot of um it, circularness to to Brackage's work where he keeps revisiting ideas that he's played he's messed around with before and doing them differently and messing around with them in a different way. Um, sometimes that's with like the materials and like the way he does the painting. It would be neat to compare this one to some of the other painting. Um, it's because like it doesn't look exactly like the way he did the other ones, if memory serves. Like, yeah, it feels like the style's a little bit different. I I don't I I wish I could describe it more clearly, but like I feel like you could almost there's probably he is maybe the only one who knows, but like the way he paints the frames is different. Um, depending it's on certainly. The, it certainly feels different than the painted frames we've seen in volume two. Yes, I think so for sure. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's all that different from the other painted frames he's making around this same time period, the only one I can really visually remember is Black Ice because right. it's one I've revisited because I've been reminded of it in some of the other stuff we've we've looked at here. So Right, and, and that's the thing is like like you we watched a a lot of painted frameworks in that first volume yeah. there were a lot of them um to that extent they blend together um a, a direct comparison might yield really interesting results if somebody had the time and energy to do it yes um but what i find interesting is he's so now he's blending the painted frames with written text in that last one where he was writing on the paper it wasn't painted frames he was mixing in those like mo- like heavily um like um, modified family film shots, I believe they were. I'm trying to remember that one. I can't clearly super duper remember which one it was, so it's like hard to remember. Um, I'd have to go back and hunt for it, but like it's the same basic idea, right? Like, um, but like now it's not paired up with family, like home footage. It's paired up with, um, you know, w- with with painted frames, right? He just it's a. Brackage is a lot of circular. The the it's just sort of it's him constantly winding through the same thoughts and the same ideas, getting you know older and different and changing as a person as well at the same time, and his art's changing too, and it's just it's neat. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what else to say. Uh, like about it's it's it. This is this collection has been really fascinating because. It it is the closest thing to like a real sort of experiment experience of brackage that we've had in the sense that like because of the way we're moving through it, it feels um like I'm getting a better grasp of him as a as an artist evolving over time and stuff like that, which I don't really think I got that much from volume one. Partially again, probably because we basically sprinted through the whole fucking thing. But I do like this piece. It's not as engaging for me because I, I don't know. I found the other one more engaging. <laughs> yeah, like to a certain extent, I think I we I still suffer from brackage painted frame overexposure. Yeah, um, which is like a sad thing to say, but probably accurate. Um, that like I got burned out on that really hard when when we had to watch so many of them in, a, in like in a row and obviously the way the way we did that in volume one deeply affects why yeah. we're approaching volume two in the same in the way we're approaching volume two 
it's just it's uh yeah it's what which what, one was the one where he wrote on the page? I can't find it. I can't remember which one it was. Was it not twenty third Psalm? I thought it was twenty third Psalm. Might have been. I'm I'm kind of trying to like flash through them really fi- fast and see if I can figure out which one it was. It was early, but the thing is, is there's not that much of it. So like, you you got to find it right in the thing. Yeah. I thought it was. It, it may be. Been, if it wasn't twenty third Psalm, I don't branch. I don't think it is. If it wasn't, I don't think it was in program one. Is it twenty third Psalm branch? I don't know. I, I really think it is twenty third Psalm branch. Well, the problem is then is the that like that one's pretty long and like parsing through it. You're not fast going to find, to find it. Find yeah, it is, it is too hard. Oh well, it exists. I promise. Um, I know that it exists. I remember. You know, it's like a, a handwritten letter being written is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we talked a lot about the fact that you couldn't just like, right. you weren't meant to read it right, in, in its entirety. Yeah. Um, and I just can't remember which one it was. Yeah. You Here, could actually though, go back to it. would probably be faster to listen to the podcast than it would to try to figure it out. Here, though, with the title and what what words we can make out, we sort of kind of have the tools to figure out what well, the you, words are, even without pausing, even if we can't pause. You do. But, I I mean, the long, some of them are hard. Some of them you can, some of them you can't. And, like, um, it, it's just worth noting that the longer words are the ones you can't. The ones, yes. And it's also worth noting that the longer words are also the ones that have, that are more information dense than, than you know, you can make out it is and, like, yeah. Like uh, there's like blessed love and some stuff. Like, I can make out those, but then like the one you described as like, is it what was it universality or something like that? Yeah, it's I like the first. I sentences. rewatched it like three yeah. times. I still can't see that word. Right, I can't. Right. My eyes yeah. can't get that Uni- word out of what's on screen. Universally gladdening light is actually the yeah. First I could. Thing. I, I think I said universality, that. but it's universally. I, I, even upon rewatching yeah. it after you said that, I still yeah. can't read that. Yeah, it or, is. I, this is not parsable to me in any meaningful capacity. It is definitely twenty third Psalm branch that you're thinking of, by okay. the way, just to to put your mind at ease. You yeah, like, oh yeah, that yeah. makes it does make sense because that's the one where he's sort of actually trying to write, yeah, an invective against right w- the war and war, stuff. Yeah. Which, so it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, this one we've gotten. Brackett's old age has become more self reflexive, you know. Yeah, he's a lot. I mean, he was never super engaged with the world, the outside world that much, but he yeah. seems even sort of less so right, here. Right. Yeah. So you know what we've what we watched in the few we last few weeks have been meditations on other people's writing, uh, and this is sort of in line with that too. Right. And then you know the rest and of what we're s- happening here in this week's well, set is a look back at his memories of Boulder. It's about his impression of Boulder, right? He specifically right. says. And, yeah, and like Mammals of Victoria, these are these are even more self reflective, right? Like yeah. they're they're like they're not not quite we're not quite at nostalgia, but right. we're kind of like knocking on the door of like Yeah, but whatever remembering your life or something like that. Whatever else he is trying to do with uh unconscious London strata, it is also just his impressions of London, right? Right. And his right his his memory of London come to light. So, you know, it's a lot of... There's a lot of nostalgia baked into what we're looking at right. here this week. And that's not always bad uh, in any no. art. 
and right. it's not bad here. Uh, no, it's but. not, and and it, it it always comes down to like whether or not the nostalgia is meant to pander to the audience or is about the artists <laughs> right, like reflecting right, right, on right. themselves, right? Yeah, uh, this is not a, that. This is not meant to generate nostalgia in us necessarily. Right. It's maybe right. to, to something like Mammals of Victoria may may be in some part like as art will do, like meant to make us understand Brackage's nostalgia for the, those periods in time and, and understand the way he sees them. But it's not about making, uh, it's not trying to conjure up our nostalgia for like the fucking 1980s or whatever, the way that, 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 you know, it's, it's really, there's different modes of nostalgia. And this is, this is, this is the, the, yes. the good one, I guess the clean, healthy one that is good for, the person making it and the person watching it, I suppose. Yes. It works out. Uh, well, I think we can probably pull this week to a close. Uh, we've been talking about Pie Brackage Volume 2, Program 5, with uh, Unconscious London Strata from 1982, Boulder Blues and Pearls and from 1992, uh, The Mammals of Victoria from 1994, and this final one from First Hymn to the Night, Novalis. From 1994 uh yeah all all very striking pieces again mm. uh as as you know they've obviously we're not getting an extent this isn't a complete works of brackage set uh thank god uh but, yeah we would survive uh, that we yeah, would die. We, we would die um it is uh it is well well uh well crafted in the programs and and this this program is no exception so i look forward to finishing out by brackage and anthology volume two next week as we look at uh, the last decade of brackage's life with films from between 1995 and 2003 thank you so much for listening to lost criterion i am as always the Glass. with me as always john patrick otar dorgan and we'll see you next time bye bye This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.